Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. Today we continue talking once again about who God is according to what the Bible tells us about God, and we are in our second lesson talking about God, the Holy Spirit. Today talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, which is called sanctification. We'll define what sanctification is as we go along, but just remember what the Bible teaches about God. That it uses, uh, we use the word Trinity, which is a word that you will not find in the Bible, but Trinity or triune, that was, uh, those were words that were invented to help us explain with our very small minds a very, very big God who is beyond our minds. That God is three persons, tri, like a tricycle has three wheels, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet it's not three gods, but it's just one God, like a, like a unicycle, only has one wheel. Um, our God is triune, three persons and yet one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet just one God. Again, today we're talking about the Holy Spirit once again, his work called sanctification. We'll talk about what it is and also how it happens. To begin talking about the work of the Holy Spirit called sanctification, I want you to take you, I want to take you into a valley. A valley filled with dry bones. You find this valley in the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel was a prophet, like, a, like an Old Testament pastor, and God led him into a valley that was filled with dry bones. And God pointed Ezekiel to the dry bones and said, and said, Ezekiel, do you think these bones can live? The answer might seem obvious to us. Like, well, they're, they're just bones. They're just laying on the ground. They're, they're dead. There's no way that they can live. But that's not what Ezekiel said. He was, giving, he was giving God credit for being God, allowing for the possibility that maybe God can do something beyond what we would be able to do. And so he said, he said, well, you know, Lord, you alone know. And so then the Lord, after hearing that response, he gave him this instruction. He said, I want you to start talking to these bones. Prophesy to the bones, he said, and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And so God wanted Ezekiel to basically preach a sermon to these dry, dead bones that were scattered on this, that were scattered on this valley, floor, valley floor. And then the Lord said, when you start doing that, he said, I will make breath enter them and they will come to life. He says, I will attach tendons to them and make flesh come upon them and cover them with skin. I will put breath in them through the preaching of that word and you will come and they will come to life and that's exactly what happened. Ezekiel started preaching to them, started prophesying to them. And then whatever it looked like, whatever it sounded like, the Bible tells us that exactly what God said would happen, it did happen. These things that had been dead, they became living. They became alive. And they stood on their feet, the Bible tells us. A vast army of living beings who once were dead. Why did God do this for Ezekiel? Uh, because it was an illustration. He said, these bones represent the, my people, he said. Their hope is dried up. Their hope is cut off. And he wanted that to serve as an illustration of what God is able to do for those whose hope is gone. And really, that's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to restore our hope and to strengthen us to stand up on our feet again after we've been discouraged or after we've fallen down. 
Just a very important point about the Holy Spirit that we looked at in the last video. The work of the Holy Spirit is the work of creating faith. That is such, such a vital, vital work. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, no one is able to say that Jesus is Lord, not willingly anyway, except by the work of the Holy Spirit. Like the electric shockers that doctors put on a person's chest in order to get their physical heart beating again, the Holy Spirit is like the spiritual electric shockers in a sense that get our spiritual hearts beating so that we have life and we have faith and we're able to worship God and see him as something really, really good and live for God. And remember why faith is so important. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells us that, that when we have faith in Jesus, then we receive a righteousness that's not our own. You know, he's, he, said, he said, I want to know that Jesus is my Lord, and I want that to be worth more than anything, anything at all. I consider everything else garbage in this world just so that I can have Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from keeping laws, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That word righteousness is really important. Remember that. It's a synonym for perfection or holiness. And of course, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was holy. Jesus was righteous, never committed any sin. And that's what we need to be in order to be right with God. Of course, that's not what we are when you match our obedience or lack of obedience up against what God expects of us, which is perfection. And so the Apostle Paul is showing us the great value of having faith in Christ, that by faith in Christ, when we have faith created by the Holy Spirit, is that Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness, a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And so when that happens, you are perfect. You are holy. That's what you have the right to call yourself. By faith in Jesus, that's how God sees you. If you are covered with the righteousness and perfection holiness of Christ, it means that, that you are holy. That's your identity, and it always is. And this is the, really the basic meaning of the word sanctification. Sanctification, Bible buzzword, is literally to make holy. There are a couple other meanings that we'll talk about as we go on here, but it means to make holy. It's the Holy Spirit's work of creating faith in a person's heart and making them holy by a faith connection with Jesus Christ. The word sanctification wasn't entirely just made up. It comes from a Latin word, sanctus, sanctus, which means which means holy. In Revelation chapter 4, there's a, there's a picture of what's going on in heaven where uh, everybody's around the throne of Jesus singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who is and the one who was and, and the one who is to come. And um, holy, 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 sanctus, sanctus, sanctus in Latin. And that's where the word sanctification comes from, holiness. And it's a process that is complete because the work of Jesus is complete. Because Jesus already did what he did. And when you are connected to him by faith, you are completely perfect and holy and righteous in God's eyes. That is the work of sanctification. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And it's a good thing that it is complete because God expects us to live holy lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to some of his friends in the city of Corinth. And he says, To the church of God in the city of Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. And that emphasizes just another slightly different aspect of the word sanctification. It not only means to make holy, it also means to be called or to, to be set apart is another way to say it. To be set apart from something else and to be treated as something very, very special. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to his Christian friends there is that when we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, by the way that we live, 
we are to show that God has set us apart from this sinful world, that we are created by God to be different than this, different, than this broken world and better than this broken world. God sets us apart to be holy, to live holy lives. However, if I were to ask you if you do a good job of living a holy, perfect life, you would have to say the same thing that the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 7. No way. And it's really frustrating. This is the way that Paul said it in Romans chapter 7, where he said, he said, I have the desire to do what's good, just as we all do. But I can't carry it out. Because I don't do the good things that I want to do, but instead the evil things that I don't want to do, that I know I should not be doing, those are the things that I keep on doing. And Paul became really frustrated with himself. He wanted to do the right things, but he wasn't always able to follow through on it. He wanted to stay away from the wrong things, but he wasn't always able to follow through on doing that. Paul was imperfect. That was really frustrating to him. And that's frustrating to us too, because when we look in the mirror, we see the same thing. In every category of our lives, in family, in work, in our communities, even just living individually for God, sharing his word, being a great witness, letting our light shine, knowing his word, we are imperfect. And that will always be true on this side of eternity. But that doesn't mean we're helpless. To illustrate how it is that we're not helpless, I want you to think of a man named Sir Edmund Hillary. Some of you might recognize him. He was part of the first team that, uh, that was confirmed to have climbed Mount Everest. So many, many people had tried to climb Mount Everest, a very significant challenge. And Sir Edmund Hillary was among the part of the first team that was confirmed to have actually done that and survived. Now he had tried many times previously and failed. He would go ahead and get up the mountain and he wouldn't be able to go any further. He would get up the mountain and he would get sick or he would get injured or something like that. And one time after he was frustrated yet again by his failure to climb the mountain, he's recorded as saying this. He said, Mount Everest, you have defeated us, but I will return and I will defeat you because you cannot get any bigger. And I can. He knew something about that mountain. The mountain was always going to stay the same challenge. but he could grow. He could become stronger, he could become smarter, and eventually, by becoming stronger and smarter, more capable of defeating that enemy that was in front of him. And the same can happen, the same can happen with our faith as we live in this process of sanctification. Um, in one way, sanctification is absolutely complete. Remember, in Christ, you are holy, you are perfect. But in another way, it is always ongoing because we always need to grow in our ability to live in our sanctified lives. And the Apostle, um, the Apostle Peter tells us to do exactly that. In 1, Peter chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us to grow up in our salvation. To grow up in our salvation. You know, to become, to become stronger, to become smarter, to become wiser. And, and it works in the same way as it does with our physical muscles. As we want our physical muscles to grow, we exercise them and we feed them in order that they grow. And we can do the same thing with our spiritual muscles. We can exercise them and we can feed them with the right things so they become stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And we become more and more capable of living the types of holy lives that honor God and that serve our neighbors really, really well. But keep in mind a very important principle about how it is that muscles, both physical and spiritual, will grow. They never stay in the same place. Like it's never static. Muscles are either getting stronger or they're getting weaker. If today you can bench 350 pounds, 
Nice job. <laughs> but you stop exercising for six months and you don't pick up a weight for six months. And then six months from now, you try to bench 350 pounds. Are you going to be able to put up 350 pounds? Well, no, because by inactivity, your muscles will have become weaker. You need to exercise them. You need to feed them so that they continue not just to stay where they are, but hopefully so that they can also grow. And the same is true of our spiritual muscles. If you're feeling really, really spiritually strong today, and if you think, well, I'm good. I don't need to exercise my spiritual muscles. I don't need to feed my spiritual muscles. I'm just going to take it easy for a while. Eventually, you're going to be weaker in your faith to the point that there might not be any muscles left someday. And so you need, you need to feed it so it continues to grow. As I already said, you know, the process of the sanctification is both complete and incomplete. It is complete in that Jesus was perfectly righteous. Jesus was perfectly holy, and by faith in him, faith worked by the Holy Spirit. That is given to you as a free gift. You had nothing to do with that. And so your Heavenly Father sees you as perfect today. And yet, living in our sanctification, that is always incomplete. It's ongoing. It's, it's a process. Remember at the very beginning, we are conceived with a sinful nature that controls us completely, spiritually dead, spiritually blind, spiritually enemies of God. That's how we are conceived into this world. But then the Holy Spirit, through the message of the gospel, brings you to faith. And now there's something else that also lives inside of you. It's your spiritual nature. It's your faith. And that, that wants some say now in how you live your life and what you do and how you think about God and how you think about others. Your sinful nature is still there and it's still fighting hard against you, but now you have something fighting back. And then as you continue to grow in your faith, the influence of that spiritual nature becomes greater and greater and greater. The sinful nature is still always there, but you feed the ally of your faith in particular ways so that the sinful nature doesn't get final say so often on who you, on, on who you are, on what you do, on how you live. And feed it with what? Feed it with God's grace. That's how you feed your faith. In 2 Peter, it says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in God's grace, God's undeserved love for us. Before we dig a little bit deeper into that, I'm going to give you another Bible buzzword that we're going to come back to a couple of times in the next few lessons. And that Bible buzzword is the means of grace. So God has his grace that he is eager to give to us, but it needs to be connected with the individual souls that he wants to, he wants to have as the recipients of that grace. And so there needs to be something that bridges that gap, that gets God's grace from here to the individual souls here. Means of grace are the ways by which the Holy Spirit applies God's universal grace to our individual souls. So what is the conduit that makes that happen? What are the ways that the Holy Spirit uses to get God's grace from here to our individual souls here? Well, we've already talked about one of them in many lessons. Faith comes from hearing the message. Or Jesus said it in John chapter 17 where he prayed about his disciples. He said, he said, Father, sanctify, so make holy, sanctify these disciples by the truth. Your word is truth. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says it this way. It says, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief 
in the truth. He called you to this through the gospel. And remember what the gospel is. That's a Bible buzzword we had a couple lessons ago. The gospel literally means good news. It's through the good news of the gospel that you are sanctified. The good news of the gospel is the means that the Holy Spirit uses to connect the individual soul with the grace of our Lord Jesus that we all need. And what good news in particular? Go back to the dry bones. Ezekiel chapter 37. God leads Ezekiel into this valley of dry bones. And the bones are dead. The bones are dried. There is no life. The good news for those bones is that all those bones needed to be in order to eventually be alive was dead and hopeless on their own. And that's what they were. And that's how they remained until God's breath entered them through the preaching of the word. So I prophesied as he commanded me, Ezekiel said, and breath entered them. And they came to life and they stood on their feet, a vast army. That's pretty impressive. And all the bones needed to be were dead <laughs> and hopeless. In order to eventually get to that place, they needed, they needed God to be God, just like we do. You know, just think about the cross of Jesus. All that we needed to be in order to be saved by him and loved by him and forgiven by him was dead, spiritually dead, blind enemies of God. But then God acted, God loved, God forgave, God saved. And now here we are. We are alive because God acted and all we needed to do was nothing in order for that to happen. You look out in the world and you see a lot of places that need good news. You see a lot of individuals who are living with a lack of love for God, lack of love for their neighbors, lack of concern about God's word. And so they need something. They need the same means that were applied to our hearts so that their hearts, their souls can be connected with the same powerful grace of God that we all need. And notice that word was plural, means the means of grace. I'm just pointing that out now to give you a little teaser of what's coming. A reminder that, well, our God is a generous God. Well, he could have just left us with the word and said, well, that's enough. And it would have been enough because the Holy Spirit works through that word powerfully to create faith, to strengthen faith, to grow faith. Our God is a generous God. And he gives us a couple of other means, other things that are identified in the Bible as accomplishing a lot of the same things that the word accomplishes in our hearts. What those are and why they're significant and how we best use them and enjoy them. We'll talk about that in an upcoming lesson. But until then, enjoy your life, your spiritual life, given to you as a free gift by the God who wants you to live with him. <laughs>